don't move. Stop the car right here. There they go. All right, give it here, give it here. Oh, man, let me do it. Cool, guys. Stay in the car, man. Stay in the car. Stay in the car. Uh, hi, officers. Um, We had a flat tire back there. Do you think you guys could help us out? Nah, that's not my job. My job's not to help your fucking ass out. I mean, um, you know, I don't have any other way to get home. That's not my job, asshole. Well, uh, could you tell me what your job is? Right now, my job is eating these donuts. Or maybe... Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you? Yeah. Body count. Body count. Body count. Yeah, motherfucker! Body count. Body count. Body count. Body count. Body count. Body count, nigga! Hello and welcome to Kerrang Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 554, July the 15th, 1995, £1.45. Pence. As you can tell by my voice, it's not good. <laughs> it wasn't that great last week after I went to see Guns N' Roses and this week it's definitely a lot croakier uh, than before. I've just got back from two nights of seeing Pearl Jam in Hyde Park and it was just phenomenal. That... The festival they played is called British Summertime, and it's so well run. It's it's really surprising how good it is. It's one of these festivals where, I mean, I, I, I made a point of going out while the other bands, the support bands were playing to get drinks, food, toilet breaks, etc. So maybe that was it, but no queues for anything, really. Um, even, you know, Pearl Jam famously sells out of all of his merchandise immediately because people are just insane. <laughs> and they just come up and spend about $300 and just buy everything. But... I say dollars because it's usually Americans that are buying it, not pounds. Uh, it's, it, it's such a well-run festival. It's so great. It sounded brilliant. I had a friend that said the sound wasn't so good on the first night, but I obviously think that is where you're standing. I was in the, um, the sort of bit near the front both times. First night was I watched it with friends. Second night I watched it with family, and it was just brilliant. What that band is so good live. They are just they, you can just tell they've done it for so long. They're, they're professional. But they're still loose with it as well, because they make mistakes. <laughs> they mess up songs, and it's it's brilliant. It's just brilliant to watch. It's not brilliant to watch them make mistakes, but it's brilliant to see that they're human, that they're not... You guys see bands sometimes, it feels robotic. It feels like the set list is the same for the tour. They kind of know what they're doing. It's less a gig and more a show, whereas when you see Pearl Jam, it's still got that... Even though 65,000 people in Hyde Park, it's still got that vibe of a gig, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Eddie Vedder's going to go on a rant about something they'll bring a guest on to play on a song uh, they'll change the set list up if they get a request from the crowd it's just it feels very sort of uh, loose and uh, and and quite open and quite fun and I think that's what makes seeing them so fun is they're just five guys well six guys now that just play music and just love it and just you can just tell they have a brilliant time anyway this isn't a Pearl Jam podcast so I'm going to get away from talking about them the cover stars for this week are Terravision and Ice-T. So it's uh, Mark Wright from Terravision and Ice-T. And Kerrang says, Terravision, me, Ice-T. Rap and rock unite for Phoenix Festival. Machine Head and White Zombie for Dunnington. Apes, Pigs and Spacemen. Faith No More. Dog Eat Dog. Wild Hearts. Thunder. Slash. 
and Foo Fighters Reef made a new lineup and Black Crow's posters. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Kerrang Black Issues, we can be found. Um, where can we be found? <laughs> Sorry, I've got it written down here. On Instagram, we can be um, found on. Not found, you can follow us. See, this, this weekend has just, <laughs> just knocked it out of me. We can be found on Instagram and you can follow us at Kerrang Black Issues, on Twitter at Kerrang Pod, and email Issues at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Music, that would be great and no problems if not. I'll tell you what, I think I'm going to stop rambling and talking about things that are going on in my life because I can actually just read from the magazine, which is what you're all here for. That's what you want to um, listen to. And I can't really make mistakes with that because I'm just reading it. Let's crack on. Jesus. A swift word from the editor. Hay fever, warm lager, fast food that goes down slowly, and that heavy-headed, heavy-lidded, slow-legged journey home. Yes, the festival season is well and truly upon us, and it promises to be fun for all the family, apart from your great Aunt Maud. For all the discomforts of festival field life, we all know that there's nothing quite like the scent of unity that develops between thousands of people standing in a field in the middle of nowhere. It's a quite glorious feeling. I didn't go to Glastonbury this year. In fact, I've never been to Glastonbury. I've always been too afraid of getting off my face on bad drugs and waking up after a lost weekend in a field full of floppy fringed indie hippies. This weekend, however, I may be going to the Phoenix Festival. Tempted by the promise of some rock-tastic action on Saturday and Sunday by this week's joint cover stars Ice-T and Terrorvision, alongside a cast of thousands. This year, Phoenix is the hors d'oeuvre, that's a star in plain English, when it comes to the main course of Reading and Donington on August bank holiday weekend. I still haven't worked out how to skip between the two festivals, and I'm getting a bit miffed. Judging by your letters, see page 2425, so are you. Meet you at the junction of the M4 and the A33 on August 26th. Bearing in mind, it's the day after my birthday, I'll be the one carrying the massive hangover. Till next week, stay clean, Phil Alexander, editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mayhem, the loudest news first. Donington 95, Machine Head and White Zombie join Bill. Machine Head and White Zombie will join headliners Metallica at Donington 95 on Saturday, August the 26th. Both bands were approached directly by Metallica and will be making their UK festival debuts at the event. They're set to occupy the second and third spots on the bill respectively. Rob Zombie & Co, who haven't played in the UK for three years, will follow their Donington slot with an appearance on the main stage at the Reading Festival the very next day. Zombie are currently on the road in the US where their Astro Creep 2000 album has sailed past the million sales mark. It's been incredible, nods Rob. Our record company are more surprised than anybody because they were saying heavy music was dead in America, but the record has been selling the same amount week in, week out. Maybe it was just the right thing at the right time. For Machine Head, Donington 95 will be the climax of an incredible year. We're fucking stoked, man, growls made man Rob Flynn. It's almost every band's dream to play with Metallica. It'll be a huge honour for us. Machine Head plan to play a condensed version of the set that blitzed the UK earlier this year, including the as yet unrecorded The Frontlines. All that remains is for them to get themselves in physical shape for their biggest gig to date. While drummer Chris Contos has recovered from the stomach virus, which forced him to fly home early from their recent Australian tour, Flynn is currently nursing himself 
through full-blown pneumonia and a bad back. A doctor's injected cortisone into my fucking spiny winces. I've never felt pain like it. I almost started crying, dude. The rest of the Donington 95 bill is scheduled to be unveiled within the next week or so. As ever, it's been surrounded by intense speculation. Mayhem understands that Metallica wants to put together a 7 or 8 band bill with a focus very much on attempting to make Donington a more forward-thinking alternative event. Indeed, the bands at the top of their shopping list are Nine Inch Nails and Alice in Chains. Stop Press. Therapy will release a new single loose through A&M on July 17th. On the same day, Hole will release their new single Violent through Geffen. Reef also unleashed a new single Weird on July 24th. Previously unreleased, the track wasn't included on the band's recent debut album Replenish. Stay tuned for more Reef news next week. Blind Melon have been added to the Reading Festival bill. They'll play the main stage on Sunday, August the 27th, replacing the increasingly unfortunate Tad. Blow have announced that they will part company with drummer Mark Richardson and bassist Nicky Boys after their current UK tour. The Reform Choir Boys will warm up for their Bulldog Bash appearance with a show at Bradford Rio's on August the 10th. Tickets are on sale price £6 in advance and £7 on the night. The Wild Hearts are rumoured to have split with guitarist Mark Keds on the eve of their headlining appearance at the Phoenix Festival. Keds headed off to Japan at the end of June to play a series of farewell dates with the Census Things. However, while the rest of the band flew home after the tour, Keds has remained in Japan on holiday. This has intensified speculation that is no longer a member of the Wild Hearts. As ever, the Wild Hearts have refused to comment on the situation, but the official line is that there's no confirmation on whether Keds is still in the band or not as yet. This situation is unlikely to change until Kent returns from Japan. Whatever, the Wild Hearts will still be headlining the second stage at the Phoenix Festival on Sunday, July 16th, with or without Kent. Ironically, who will play his final UK gig with the Census Things at Phoenix on Saturday, July the 15th. Def Leppard drummer Rick Allen is facing a possible two-year jail sentence after being arrested in LA for allegedly assaulting uh, his wife. Alan was arrested at LAX airport after a heated argument with wife Stacy Laurie. According to eyewitnesses, the pair had a heated row in the first class section during an internal flight into Los Angeles and this continued after the plane landed. Apparently, a visibly angry Alan followed his wife into the ladies' toilets in Terminal 5 where it's alleged he threw Stacy Laurie up against the wall and attempted to strangle her. Alan has now been released from police custody on a reported £30,000 bail. As yet, no decision has been made as to whether he will face the serious charge of spousal abuse, which carries a maximum two-year sentence. Under California law, it's the state's responsibility to press charges and not the alleged victims. This decision will be taken after police have interviewed both Alan and his wife. This is, of course, the latest in a list of tragedies to hit Leopard. In December 83, Alan lost his left arm after a road accident in Derbyshire, and in 1991, the band were hit by the death of guitarist Steve Clark. Pearl Jam's ex-drummer Dave Abrazese is playing gigs in Texas with his new band Ten Hands. Hey, maybe this is a Pearl Jam podcast after all. Abrazese, who played on both Versus and Vitology, has spoken of his desire to keep Ten Hands a low-key project, he's yet to release any lineup details, and also to base the success of it on the music rather than any political agenda. The band have played a number of shows at the Club Dada in Dallas. An employee there told Mayhem, They seem to be here every week. I just thought they were any other band. I didn't have any idea one of them used to be in Pearl Jam. 
Ten Hands have apparently been recording material in a small studio in Dallas, although no record deal has yet been finalised. And Abrazzi is also playing on a symphonic tribute album to Jimi Hendrix, which is being put together by late guitarist producer Eddie Kramer and is due for release later this year. Smashing Pumpkins are currently completing work on their new as yet untitled album in Chicago with co-producers Flood and Alan Mulder. The album A Double Set is due for release in October. The Pumpkins vocalist, guitarist Billy Corgan, guitarist James Iyer, bassist Darcy and drummer Jimmy Chamberlain have spent the past few months working 12-hour shifts six days a week. Among the 24 songs that will make up the album's running order are Zero, The Explosive Jelly Belly, The Swirling Heavenly Orchestrated Tonight the Night, The Dreamy Forgive and The Mammoth Porcelina. According to Corgan, collectively, they're a marked progression from the Pumpkins' last album, The Multi-Platinum Siamese Dream. For a start, the basic tracks were recorded live, whereas previously the foursome had heavily layered on overdubs. Most bands would take the conservative approach by making Siamese Dream 2, Corgan tells US magazine Rolling Stone this month, but we wanted to do the most unconservative thing we could. I see this as the end of a creative cycle, at least for the way this band was originally conceived. So I figured, as long as we still have the energy, let's do as wide-ranging an album as we can do. After this album, we'll have exhausted the rock route. Records news, a band company, the legendary Brit Rockers, issued their latest studio album, Company of Strangers, through East West on July 17th. Produced by the band at the Manor Studios in Oxfordshire, it's the first to showcase new vocalist Robert Hart. Siv, the US hardcore band featuring two former members of Cult and Gorilla Biscuits, have their self-titled debut album uh, issued through East West during the summer. Siv supports Sick of It All, a London Astoria 2, on July the 14th. Extreme, the Boston Rockers' latest single, Unconditionally, has had its release through A&M postponed until August. Hedge Hog, the Norwegian super heavy guitar noise combo, have just issued their latest LP, Fawn Corn Wonder, on Voice of Wonder Records. Sick of it all, the release of the band's new single, Step Down, has now been cancelled. Tour news. And Bush, the fast-rising band, will headline the Nottingham The Clinton Rooms on July 20th, supported by Friction. Dog Eat Dog, the New York Hardcore Hounds, play an all-ages show at Birmingham Exposure Rock Cafe on July 13th. The band will be on stage at 6pm, after which they will be signing and giving away various goodies. There will also be a barbecue and a mini skateboarding ramp. Electric Wizard, the Doom Band, will appear at London George Roby on July 12th, supported by a haunted kingdom. Shudder to Think uh, will play the Leeds Duchess of York July 12th, London Highbury Garage 14th, Sheffield Leadmill 15th. All of this leads up to their appearance at the Phoenix Festival on July 16th. Status Quo, the veteran boogie band celebrate their 30th anniversary with the following dates. There's a lot of dates here, <laughs> sorry. I was, just, I was just going through. Uh, yeah, there's something like 15 dates. I'm not reading those out, sorry. 3.11, the LA Five Piece who combine funk, hip-hop and hard rock support Shoots Groove at Stoke Wheat Sheaf July 13th and the London Camden Underworld on the 14th. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happened starting with Don K in New York. Nine Inch Nails main man Trent Reznor has hardly been taking it easy since coming off the road. 
He was just in New York mixing the new Marilyn Manson album, which will come out on his Nothing label. There's a Nine Inch Nails home video due out sometime later this year, and there's also rumours that he'll join industrial music legend Fetus on stage when the latter hits New Orleans on his current tour. Still, Reznor is as introverted as ever. At a party thrown by his PR firm, he reportedly sat in the corner all night and didn't speak. Have Roadrunner Records gone mad? Sepultura drummer Igor Cavalera is preparing to walk down the aisle with his longtime girlfriend Monica in Sao Paulo. Meanwhile, the SEPS A&R man Monty Connor is also taking the plunge and was given a grand send-off with a bachelor party at the Empire Hotel. The highlight of the evening came when four strippers invaded the room, two supplied by Roadrunner and one each delivered by Type of Negative and Life of Agony, two of Connor's other signings. And Type of Negative frontman Pete Still has done some stripping of his own is the centrefold in this month's Playgirl magazine. All I can say is that this is very big news indeed for female fans of the band. Bad news for the Overkill camp, guitarists Rob Canavino and Merrick Gant have both left the band. The faded New York thrash mob have just released a 10th anniversary double live album but the exit of both Axemen hardly augurs well for their future. The Birchill nightclub in New Jersey hosted the 1995 Music Expo, which featured over 50 mostly unsigned bands playing on two stages, while various small labels and other music-oriented companies peddled their wares at booths and exhibits throughout the parking lot. Atlantic artist Jawbox also showed up for a headlining set supported by numerous East Coast bands. Despite a somewhat shaky start, the Expo could develop into something interesting now that the New Music Seminar no longer exists. US News Extra The Black Crows, Raging Slab, Mule and Driving and Crying are among the bands contributing tracks to Hempalation, a benefit album which will donate funds to the National Organization for the Reform of the Marijuana Laws. It will be released through Capricorn Records in the US on September 26th and the Beastie Boys, Counting Crows, The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, The Muffs and Cracker all pop up on the forthcoming soundtrack album to the flick Clueless. We now join Kevin Roberts in Seattle. Courtney Love has run into difficulties in her bid to find a final resting place for the ashes of Kurt Cobain. Love had hoped to lay her husband to rest more than a year after his death in Seattle's Calvary Catholic Cemetery, but she had a change of heart after the cemetery bosses demanded $100,000 a year to cover security costs, as well as $75,000 for a tombstone they wanted her to buy. I don't have that kind of money, and Kurt didn't have that kind of money either, says Courtney. She has already had to hire round-the-clock security to watch over her Seattle home on Lake Washington Boulevard, of fans have flocked there to pay tribute to the Nirvana leader. Lovers purchased a second home in New Orleans. Ex-Nirvana stars Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic will perform together uh, again later this month. Foo Fighters, Grohl's new band at Sweet 75, Nova Selich's new free piece will both appear at an anti-censorship show at Seattle's Kitsap County Fairground on July 22nd. Pearl Jam guitarist Stone Gossard and Mike McCready are set to testify in court in support of Jimi Hendrix's father, Al's bid to gain control of his son's estate. He claims that Leo Branton, the lawyer who currently handles the estate, has mishandled its affairs, resulting in the loss of millions of dollars. Lisa Johnson's LA column will return next week. Beavis, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Concerts. And the first concert reviewed this week is White Zombie, supported by Babes in Toyland, live at the Center Arena Seattle on Monday, June the 26th. Reviewed by Kevin Roberts, this gets electrocution. No, it doesn't. It gets high voltage out five, four out of five. 
It's like a real life freak show in here, and that's just the audience. Twisted Sisters, Babes in Toyland are ripping through their tempestuous set and already the crowd are frantically body surfing and even being spurred on in their pursuit by the security staff and the front of the stage. None of the excitement seems to affect the babes who slip into We Are Family as their curtain closer, while around them, distended bodies fly and tumble. Dressed like a Victorian child, singer Kat Bajayland stamps her feet, pouts and screams as the final riff dies down. People who wear sunglasses inside usually seem to be sad and lonely individuals, I said usually. But after just a couple of minutes watching Whites on Me, you can see how some might want to avoid permanent retina damage. The war zone called a stage is like a mad scientist lab in a hammer horror movie. It's rampant with explosions, smoke plumes and circles of fire. It's enough to send a holiday and UN peacekeeper running back to Sarajevo for a bit of peace and quiet. Continually whirring around like a little boy dying for a pee, Rob Zombie controls the melee. With his guttural growling delivery, he's saying he's the jigsaw man, but he sounds like an actioneer, albeit a gloomy one. Or even a rapper. Believe it or not, it's MC Rob. But a bombastic background soundscape, a dark tunnel of noise boosted by bassist Sean Uzelt, drummer uh, John Tempesta and guitarist Jay, has as much in common with, say, Public Enemy's Bomb Squad as any of the uh, more obvious industrial goth influences at work here. This is the kind of show that the words in your face fit perfectly, and for all their tales of gloom and doom, these pre-apocalyptic Grim Reapers leave you feeling surprisingly upbeat, smiling and completely entertained. It's a rocky horror show in the fine tradition started by Kiss, back before they got really scary and dispensed with the face paint. It's impossible not to enjoy this show. If you don't, you're just a miserable git. You must be. So put your sunglasses back on, go home and listen to your Nine Inch Nails albums. The next review is for the Ramones and Anti-Nowhere League live at the Astoria London on Tuesday, June 27th. Reviewed by Paul Travers, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. The Anti-Nowhere League are a top nostalgia trip for people who like being sworn at by middle-aged men from Tunbridge Wells. The sound is too clean, but they're better tonight than the first time they reformed, playing dirty classics like Wrecker Nowhere and I Hate People as if they mean it. Woman remains the ultimate anti-ballad and Streets of London never sounded like this when performed by Ralph McTell. Their particular brand of grime-crusted biker pop, uh, punk rock and roll does sound dated at times, but the league are still a minor riot. The Ramones, by contrast, could never sound dated, as up until now they seem to have resided in a peculiar dimension outside time as it applies to us mortals. The Ramones Zone. For 20 years, they've been playing the same three songs, the fast one, the medium one, and the slow one. But alas, it looks like this tour could finally be the end. Adios Amigos is not amongst the best of their recorded output and is an unspectacular way to bow out, but live you just know they're going to be as unchangeably good as ever. I could have accurately reviewed this gig from home 200 miles away. The crowd start chanting the time honored hey ho let's go. The band come on with a minimum of fuss. They fire out an opening salvo of five songs in five minutes. They're all imbued with a frantic energy that makes them sound alike, but it doesn't matter because it all sounds great. Joey says something like hello London, then they play 20 more songs. The Ramones have never changed. They've never needed to because they were excellent when they started. Maybe it's time to call it a day. They are, after all, middle-aged men singing about teenage lobotomies. But a Ramon-free world would be a much sadder and duller place to live. Next up, we have Korn, supported by Sugar Ray, live at the Irving Plaza, New York, on Tuesday, June the 27th. Reviewed by Steve Blush, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. 
Why was tonight different from any other night? Because for once, this was a rock show to remember. For the sweaty masses who packed Manhattan's premier concert spot tonight, this gig was a vital reprieve from the endless onslaught of alternate grunge losers who seem to have taken over the music biz these days. Following a short and succinct set by new American recording label rap crew Lords of Brooklyn, we were treated to a half hour dose of Metal Soul by heralded Southern California quartet Sugar Ray. While some haughty critics have mistakenly dismissed the band as trademark raging and machine-like, axe-laden, high-energy crunch, sexy lead vocalist Mark McGrath and crew are actually more like a bitch's brew of Faith No More's heavy eclecticism, grand funk's romp and smooth trip-hop grooves. Check out the brilliant Lemonade and Brownies debut due on Atlantic in August at all costs. Corn are one of the best kept secrets in rock, but not for long. With a lethal dose of technically proficient speed metal and dark brooding ethnic rhythms, these gnarly motherfuckers know how to knock your head clean off its shoulders. Similar to Biohazard or Pantera in their brutal street level uh, slice of life offerings, Corn killed with power right from the opening chord of their hour plus mosh marathon. You may not know all the songs yet, but you'll sure as hell want to experience this bodacious band's menacing assault when they hit the UK for the first time this September. Heavy metal is alive and well in the hybrid hands of outfits like Corn and Sugar Ray. Loud and proud, these West Coast warriors just may be a glimpse of the shape of things to come. Just a small caveat here. I find it really interesting that there's been a Corn review um, after I spoke about Corn at the end of last week's um, issue. So, I, for those that remember, I mentioned that Corn uh, were mentioned in the... Um, the writers charts that they put in the charts at the end and also I think last week it was Mark McGrath from um, Sugar Ray that added the album Corn by Corn to his uh, Star Tracks, his top five albums for the week and that was the first couple of times that I think Corn have you know been probably mentioned and now they've got a live review so you know that it's just about to start bubbling for them. Um, I know that um, their self-titled debut came out in 1994 but it wasn't available in this country until 95. And I think they were one of those bands that it came out, they got some MTV airplay on Headbangers Ball for the for Blind, and it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Uh, but it's, it's really interesting to see a review for them uh, back from this time. And Head, the guitarist, has short hair, and it's really weird to see. <laughs> it's really, it's really odd. Anyway, next review. The next and final review for this week is The Weenie Roast, live at Irving Meadows Amphitheatre, Los Angeles, Saturday, June the 17th. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Latest Brit pretenders Bush have some great songs. They also have the odd spell of mediocrity, but this afternoon they wind up their 5 month US trek by showcasing their best stuff. The excellent Everything Zen and Machine Head especially shake this arena, complete with revolving stage and Bush walk off as mini-heroes. White Zombie Rock Singer Rob Zombie's voice may be weaker than his studio performance, but this is soon forgotten as he bounds down into the crowd and stomps the long aisles yelling Devil Man, Devil Man. Superb. Soul Asylum meet Polite Apathy, suggesting that the more laid-back nature of their Let Your Dim Light Shine opus has made them less of a draw to the average LA rockhead. Maybe Dave Penner and co react to the non-reaction, or maybe it's just a bad show, but there's no spark. Save the rush of somebody to shove and no runaway train. Rancid are US punks who want to be the pistol so badly it hurts, but it works. The Mohawk mob tear it up and it's bizarre to see them do their stuff on a big stage like this. 
They ain't no effects or offspring, but they're fun to learn. Everyone loved Rage Against the Machine for a month, then discarded them when it wasn't the done thing. They're still a great band, and Kidding in the Name and Bullet in the Head still kick like Jean-Claude Van Damme. They play four new songs, including Year of the Boomerang, and while these sound more arty on the guitar side, they're also more aggressive in places. Raging. Hole plays some good songs and a couple of great ones, like Violet. But let's see what Courtney said. Her best quote is the photo pit. I've showed you my underwear hundreds of times, I'm bored with it. Minutes later, she bends over very deliberately and shows us her underwear. Then the stage revolves with Courtney sprawling around on it, and the Ramones soon lumber on to play a shitload of cool punk tunes. What's a weenie? Fuck knows. Next up in Kerrang! we have a piece titled, I carry my own fucking bags. Yep. There's no skivvies or bodyguards around Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash these days, and he's happy as a pig in poke. Why? Because he's back on the road with his snake pit band. Dave Reynolds hooks up with a nice guy act god in Paris. It's three o'clock somewhere. Well, three o'clock on a hot and sticky day in Paris, to be precise. The instantly recognisable figure of Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash Standing outside the Gardenord railway station in the heart of the city is something that is bound to attract an assortment of characters, especially as he is posing for the lens of Kerrang! photographer Ross Halfin. It's almost ironic that the debut album from Slash, which the Axeman describes as his mistress, features a track titled Beggars and Hangers On. For, while some of those gathered merely want the man's autograph, one individual, a small girl with a golden tooth smile, wants hard cash. Having been given a few francs for posing with Slash for a bit of fun, the youngster is then handed a Polaroid as a souvenir, only to tear it into a thousand pieces before attempting to make off with Slash's shirt, cigarettes and lighter lying near him on the pavement. There's no pleasing some people. Whilst there seems to be some debate as to whether or not Slash is still actually in Guns N' Roses, it's more than obvious that the man right now is having the time of his life on tour with his snake pet buddies. Having already played shows throughout the US and Japan, as well as a selection of gigs in Europe, including a few on the same stadia filling bill as Bon Jovi, Slash's Snake Pit hit the UK this week for a club tour that finds Slash revisiting some of the venues that he hasn't played since the first Guns N' Roses tour back in 87. The UK is always one of the hardest places to play, states the man, taking a drag of the first of many Gatane cigarettes this afternoon. Because it's almost like the audience know beforehand whether they're going to love you or hate you. I remember the tour with Guns N' Roses in 87. Hammersmith was okay, but some of the other shows were really difficult. So it's great to get another chance. Great to get another chance? Christ, this is a man who sold more albums than Pearl Jam and Nirvana put together. Uh, so Slash, how does it feel to be stepping back into the clubs? Oh, it's great, he smiles, totally genuine. I don't mind playing stadiums and festivals, but to break that down into a place where you can feel body heat and where you can really communicate with the audience is a priceless feeling beyond comparison. Last night, he continues, referring to a show in the centre of Paris's red light district, was fucking great. The funny thing is that the crowds we're playing to are really into what's going on, even though most of them aren't too familiar with the record yet. They're just there to see what it's all about. But if you can win over an audience that's not too sure of what's going on, then it's to the band's merit that you've pulled it off. I do think that some people are coming to see the band just through sheer curiosity, he admits. Given that we have a couple of guys from Pride and Glory, the rhythm team of bassist James Lomenzo and drummer Brian Titchy, a singer who used to be in Jellyfish, amiable Man of War and Scorpions fan Eric Dover, and Gilby Clark and me and the Guns N' Roses thing. Whether or not they'd rather see us with our other bands, I don't know, but who fucking cares? Personally, 
I'm really happy slash drawls sucking on another cigarette. It's a godsend that this band happened, as everybody knows I have a real problem with going home at the end of a tour. I just get involved with various characters and the next thing I know I have a fucking drug problem. You get home and you find that you don't know what to do with yourself. It's a unique thing. But what happened this time with me was after Guns finished up that two and a half year tour, I got married, I got a house and built a studio. I was like a kid in a candy store, playing guitar and recording everything wherever I felt like it. Then Matt Sorum would come over to hang and we'd start jamming. But at the time, everything was off the cuff. It wasn't serious. Anyway, then that little situation arose where Axel and Gilby fell out. Uh, reputedly over a Kerrang article in which Clark painted the Guns N' Roses leader as a ranting dictator. It was at this point where Axel and I started fighting, so I really didn't know in which direction Guns was going in. Plus all that who's the boss bullshit. So me, Gilby and Matt started writing. Mike and S from Addison Chain started coming over and suddenly we realised that we had a pretty cool band together. Enter Eric Dover, a man pretty well kicking in his heels after the demise of the poptastic jellyfish. Once Slash knew that he'd found a singer of real quality, the pair wrote 12 songs in 12 days, and the Snake Pit record was born. This project wasn't supposed to be such a big deal, reckoned Slash. Only Guns were still trying to figure out what it was doing. These particular songs Axel had actually turned down when there were just demos. He hadn't liked the particular direction they were going in, but it's the way I've always written from day one. Axel being the fucking visionary lead guy that he is, was branching out towards synthesizer stuff, or whatever. I was cool with that. But after the Snake Pit album was finished, he didn't even know I was doing a record. He comes and asks for some of the songs. I had to tell him that I'd already used them. So this is where a lot of the rumours have been coming from. Because all of this started a fight between Axel and me. The fact that I was playing with Gilby added to it. When it came to tour, Matt stayed at home because he didn't want to cause any further conflict with Axel. And as Mike and Ed had gone back to Alice in Chains, I talked to Brian Tishy and he brought James with him. As Slash frequently points out, this band has been a monumental release. I'm not knocking what we accomplished in Guns, he states, but Snake Pit is so normal and street level in comparison. The only thing I like about playing in those two to three hours spent on the stage. Inactivity must kill you. It's a fucking pain in the ass, but honestly, this is great. We all hang out together, carry our own fucking bags. I haven't felt like this since Guns first started. I always dug that little street gang kind of vibe about a band, so it's nice to have this mistress. It's like you're married, he explains, taking a swig of cool Heineken, and you have a girlfriend on the side. Schedules permitting, we can do a snake pit record anytime we feel like it. So, is this just a side project? Well, it's not so much a side project as a band. To save your sanity, right? I'd probably be real strung out, again waiting for the next Guns record. Guns just don't work that quickly. Axel really wants to do a new record right now, but how he wants to do it and how I want to do it are two entirely different things. We need to talk about it, we need to find middle ground. How difficult is it for Guns N' Roses to get together and make a record, or even rehearse? Who makes the call? How does it work? I don't know, Slash shrugs. The whole thing about making a record, his voice trails off. Usually a band makes a record every year. It's a very mechanical thing, but with Guns it's not like that. We never do the same thing twice. Deciding to make a record comes from knowing that the whole band has enough material to record, but we haven't really compiled anything lately. I haven't had Axel sing anything yet, so it's still hovering around in the grey area. Anyway, he mumbles, slightly irritating for the first time, enough on Guns N' Roses. There really are no answers to any of this sort of shit. Is Slash tired of being the diplomat and the peacemaker in Guns N' Roses? I don't mind being there when shit comes up, but I don't like having to argue about stuff. That's one thing that's cool about Snakebit. It's an outlet to just be able to perform without worrying about anyone turning around and tripping out. Did you ever agree with any of the stuff that Axel went off 
on one about, like the five-year-old feud with Kerrang, for example. Nah, going public with stuff just isn't my style slash shrugs. Whether I agree with Axel's point of view or not, we had a lot of things to be pissed off about that I wasn't happy with, but what's done is done. Next time it comes up, you just remember it, but you don't make a big issue out of it. But then that's the whole difference between being the guitar player and being a frontman. I just let the Les Paul do the talking. Compared to those bands now eclipsing Guns N' Roses in terms of record sales, Guns N' Roses earned their fame by touring the world. Some of the new breed can hardly complete a tour. Sure, Guns went out there and worked, acknowledges Slash. We made it off touring, although I guess we also got famous due to all the press, but we worked fucking hard. You know, we did some shows recently with Bon Jovi, as you know, and that guy, regardless of the type of music he plays, really does work, and you have to if you want to get anywhere. Being complacent doesn't fit into the scheme of things. Ironically enough, Bon Jovi are also in Paris preparing for their gig with the Rolling Stones. They are holed up in a ritzier part of town, while the Snake Pit boys are content with a slightly cheaper hotel and devoid of bodyguards. So, is Slash now able to walk down the street without getting mobbed? Yeah, for the most part he smiles. See, there's this thing where you can create this whole aura surrounding you by having all this security with you. It's really no big deal to sign an autograph. I can often walk around the streets and no one gives a fuck. It's plainly obvious that Slash is as happy as a pig in shit with its snake pit creation. In fact, he claims that something drastic would have to go wrong in order for us not to do another record. The band's too cool, he gushes. We've established a relationship where we've got a real band together here. We're talking serious chemistry. As you'll see, on the UK dates, Slash's snake pit may be the best way forward for the tussle-haired millionaire. They fucking rock. Seriously. Communication now, and my god, the metalheads are pissed off. They've managed to um, put Donington on the same weekend as Reading in 1995. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. There are a lot of letters of people complaining. Can't wait to read those. The letter of the week this week begins, I thought I might write in to say how utterly bored I am with a woman now known as the Black Widow of Rock, Courtney Love. Don't get me wrong, I love Hull's music, but every pullout on article on the band is of Courtney Love giving us a guided tour of her G-string, or an interview with her addressing issues such as Kurt Cobain's sex and who she's slagging off in the world of rock. Not once have I seen an interview with the rest of the band, nor has there been a poster of any one of them except for Courtney Love. Are the rest of the band mute or something? Or can't they be bothered to make any comments about their music? I really wish the media would stop hyping Love up. The way things are now, she just looks like an attention-seeking bimbo not a musician. In April, I went to see Hull only to hear Courtney call the crowd pieces of shit and tell us to get a life. Good one, Courtney. At the end of the gig, she heard herself into the crowd, got stripped and pranced around the stage topless, refusing to cover herself with a towel she was handed by the security guards. Can't you guys at Karan give your readers more on Hull's music rather than just news on the singer's sex life? BB Teddington. Courtney's always newsworthy, which means that you're the Karan cap winner this week. Editor. I'm writing to say how disgusted I am with British radio's attitude to rock music. First came the demise of Red Dragon Radio's rock show, followed by the Paul Flower rock show. Now whilst listening to the coverage of the Bon Jovi concert at Wembley, I'm forced to write. In their infinite wisdom, the BBC decided a religious programme was more important than airing the first 15 minutes of the concert. Consequently, we joined the concert about 30 minutes from the end of Wild in the Streets. Anyone who went to Wembley the previous night would know that Jovi played Living on the Prayer and You Give Love a Bad Name prior to this. What makes this all the more unbelievable are these two songs are possibly the best known songs by the band. Maybe if the BBC stopped playing the same crap day in, day out, 
then they may start to satisfy the huge audience that rock music attracts. Steve Jeffries, West Midlands. Guess you all like Bon Jovi then, editor. I'd just like to ask everyone this simple question. Why the fuck does everyone have to try and compare the Foo Fighters to Nirvana? Just because Dave was in Nirvana does not mean his new band will sound like them. I think the new album is fucking brutal hardcore and it easily outstrips all Nirvana albums. I think this album has given Dave the right to be referred to as the Foo Fighters frontman and not just the ex-Nirvana drummer. Wake up, you sad shits. See you at Reading, Dave. Blow them away. Dave the Howling Cow from East Sussex. Gagging for a shagging. Please could you print a picture of Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam as he is the sexiest motherfucker in the world. Jeff, you're the best bass player too. EB from Ferrum. Jeff is also the desired main squeeze of Carrie from Sussex, so get a load of this, editor. I'd be grateful if you'd consider printing the following letter. I would like to hear from anyone interested in attending the Via Rock Festival at Gradsenbergen in Belgium on July the 14th and 15th. There are 10 bands on the Friday and 13 on the Saturday. Headlined by Venom and also featuring Merciful Fate, Sick of It All, Warren, Benediction and Kicks. Approximate cost would be around £60 each for three people, plus entry fee about £16 and food. There is an official campsite and I have all the appropriate gear, plus there's a chance to get some cheap beer on the way back. I went to last year's festival and really enjoyed it, so if you fancy representing your country at this year's, give me a call on 01938 552 1241 daytime or write to me at the address below. Go on, invade Belgium in the name of metal. You know it makes sense. Sean, 1, Schoolhouse, Crigium, Shrewsby, Shropshire, SY5, 3RN. Go on, get on that blower, editor. A note to Xavier Russell. Contrary to what you may think, having an individual writing style does not mean misspelling every single word with a C in and putting random words in uppercase. Doing it once was a cool gag, but making a career of it smacks of desperation. You really need a new gimmick, you know, perhaps you could swap all the vowels around or completely ignore the letter E. Or if that doesn't grab you, have you thought about a job in teaching? Darren from Hans. Here we are, is the side panel of all of the letters, there's about eight of them complaining about Reading and Download. Not Download, <laughs> bloody hell, <laughs> Download doesn't exist yet, Reading and Donington. Wahey, well, Donington is on. Wahey, well, Metallica are headlining. Wahey, well, it's the same weekend as Reading. Lars Ulrich, Morris Jones, whoever's responsible for this fucking travesty, sort it out. You've ruined my year, and I dare say a fair few others too. Why can't Donington be the Saturday before Reading as it used to be to prevent these problems? I'd say they've halved their potential audience already. Please do something about this. A potential suicide case from the Midlands. What the fuck? How could they? This was my reaction when I heard that Metallica would be headlining Donington and it would take place on August 26th, the same day as the Reading Festival. Why did the organisers do this? How the fuck am I supposed to make the decisions between the almighty Metallica and Pearl Jam with Neil Young? Tracy McLagan from West Molesley. I'm totally pissed off because Metallica played Donington on Saturday, August the 26th at the same time as Reading. I booked Reading months ago and then out of the blue Metallica decided to play Donington. Couldn't Donington's promoters aim carve have picked an alternative Saturday to host Donington? I'm sure other Metalli fans are in the same shit. Sort it out, Barry Wilson from Stourbridge. 
There's a small note at the bottom of this from Kerrang which simply says, A spokesman for the promoters, Aimcarv MCP, told Kerrang that the date for Donington 95 was selected solely due to the availability of Metallica. They just weren't free for any other day but August 26th. But it seems the controversy will rage on, judging from the size of our post bag. We now come to this week's cover stars, Ice T meets Ice Pop. Put the king of rap and the master of Britpop metal in the same room as Kerrang man Jason Arnop and what do you get? Ice-T and Terrorvision's Tony Wright mouthing off about sex, drugs, violence, grunge and more. Let's throw Ice-T and Tony Wright together. One hot evening in Belgium and see how they get on. That's the idea. Ice-T hails from South Central LA. He's the biggest, baddest rapper in the world with his own metal band body count. Tony Wright's from Bradford and sings for Terrorvision, one of Britain's highest rock success stories of the past few years. Ice-T had barely heard of Terrorvision before. Tony used to know more about Ice-T than he does now. Oh shit, this little feature idea has just cost the record companies involved a cool £1,000 in airfares alone. On the face of it, the only common thread linking the original gangster with the original prankster is the fact that they're both playing the Phoenix Festival this weekend. Tony is phoning from Leeds especially for this tete-a-tete, uh, -tete, but it's Ice-T who initially looks weary and overheated. The ever-chirpy Tony and I sit down and order beers, the Iceman sips mineral water. Quickly, the atmosphere loosens and we start rambling on about all manner of cool and interesting stuff. The tape recorder comes out of the bag. Okay, motherfuckers, let's go. Riots. Ice-T saw the LA riots in April 92. Tony saw a riot in Bradford about a month ago. Tony. They put it down to racism and stuff because there's a big Asian community in Bradford, but that was an excuse. You just get assholes in every walk of life. Ice. A real situation sparked the LA uprising, but once people get moving, poverty takes over. It becomes, there's a store right there and I want a TV set. Some people didn't even know why they were marching, they didn't give a fuck. Tony, little things build up and people forget why they're doing it. The weekend we had a riot, there were groups of 13 year old lads coming out with masks on. They were out at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because they had to be back by 10. It was pathetic. Extreme Nerve Terror Despite having cut 5 rap albums and 2 body count LPs, Ice-T confesses to being terrified in the studio. I get ulcers, he insists, because I'm making stuff that's never been played to people. Anybody who's not scared has lost their mind, man. In this business, you're turkey today and dressing tomorrow. I dread the day when people say, oh you used to be Ice-T, like, you wanna get into this club? Oh you used to be in Terrorvision. Tony. It's something to be proud of though, isn't it? It's better than them saying, that's them who used to sound like, uh, who is it? Ice. Yeah, that's much worse, but making albums is like having babies, man. You sign a record deal and that's when you're fucked, right? You have nine months of carrying this album and you put it out. You either have a healthy platinum boy or the shit's born dead. Tony. And the day you go on stage and shout yo and no one shouts back, you go, oh fuck. Ice. When you walk on, people applaud your past accomplishments. When you walk off, the question is, did you let them down? I want to make them cheer as loud when I leave as when I come on. Tony. When we first started, no one would turn up to our gigs. When you've got 12 people in front of you, you've got to go for it and make them tell their mates. Ice. There's nights when you don't want to do it. Imagine walking on stage with diarrhea in front of 40,000 people. They're screaming while you're puckering your ass as hard as you can. It can happen because diarrhea don't say, oh, you've got a show today. Guns and Roses. Touring with guns was some shit, Ice giggles, recording body count stint with the Gunners and Metallica in 93. 25 tour buses, two helicopters, 2,000 strippers, they take you to the stage in a fucking golf cart, manicure you, and then you walk on to the motherfucker. Some guys working your guitar pedals for you, it's cute shit. 
Me and Axel hit it off no problem. His attitude was ice motherfuckers talk shit about me. How many people really know me? I didn't do nothing wrong. Duff's a tight friend too. What would Tony say to Axel? Tony. I don't know. I'd have to meet him. I'll meet anybody. Ice. That's good. Because I used to make comments about people before I met them. But then I realised I was falling victim of the press. Even when you meet people, you might catch them on a bad day. Tony. Before you go on stage, you got to try and remember all your fucking words. Someone always comes up to ask you the most stupid thing ever, like can I have a beer? Ice. Someone asked me, what's the last thing you think of before you go on stage? I said hitting you in the fucking face. Axel's got a teleprompter at the bottom of the stage. He's drunk anyway, so he might miss a line. Tony. You should program some new ones in while he's not looking. Controversy. Terrorvision have found success while offending no one but the old hotel manager. Ice, in contrast, became America's public enemy number one in 1991 upon the release of Body Count's eponymous debut album and specifically the hugely controversial track Cop Killer. He was even labelled sick by President George Bush. Ice, at San Diego show, the cops gave me a letter saying I'd be arrested if we played Cop Killer. I took it on stage and read it out. Two helicopters came over the middle of the stadium and lowered down. I wiped my ass with a fucking letter. We went into Cop Killer, tore the place up and the helicopters went away. Tony, the police gave you the best light show they could have. Ice, it was a bluff. The illest thing that ever happened was the FBI getting my daughter out of school and asking her questions about me. Tony, we haven't really upset anyone. I try not to swear in interviews in case my mother reads them. Ice loves his politics, while Tony avoids them like the plague. Neither of them like the idea of political correctness. Ice, who are these people making guidelines, man? I'm politically correct because it's my politics. Tony, politics is a load of shit. These days, you're only educated to copy what the teacher tells you or you get a clip round the ear. Friends. Ice is greatly impressed by the television song title Pretend Best Friend. Tony. Your friends are the ones you don't have to think about. You won't hold stuff against you and a lot of people say they're your friends and you don't even know half of them. Ice. It's true. I've retained some friends and I've lost just as many. Some tried to take advantage of my money but I'm seriously into friends because I don't have any family. When I was in gangs, that's love. I'm the kind of motherfucker who, if I'm down with you, I'll go out with you, man. No one's gonna fuck with you. Tony. Most of Terrorvision are my closest mates. Ice. I judge you like this. If I was in trouble and someone was gonna kill me, would you let them? If I was down to nothing, would you give me a meal? Partying is easy. Riding around in my limo with me all day is easy. We could sit and argue all day, but it don't mean you're not my friend. A lot of people separate themselves because of little bullshit. Tony. That's made a whole new society of people who are afraid to mingle. They don't even want to sit next to each other on the bus. Grunge. Grunge is bullshit, rages ice, thumping the table. That's some of the most fake shit that's ever come out. The star that doesn't want to be a star. Okay, so give the fucking money away to some charity that needs it, man, and stay in that fucked up car you started with. I like to wear nice clean clothes because I used to have none. These motherfuckers try and look all grunge and they've got $10 million in the fucking bank. Tony. The best songwriter in the world probably works in a factory somewhere. Frustrated as fuck, when they read some band saying I hate fame, that's torture. If you hate it that much, then swap your jobs with someone in a dog biscuit factory. Ice. Money can help your family and friends and get you a better lifestyle. I was out there stealing and robbing, then busted my ass for success so that I could create a situation where my kid don't have to do the shit I had to do. Festivals. Surprisingly, this subject doesn't seem to captivate the pair too much and leads almost instantly into a debate about police wear in Northern Ireland and England. But Ice does say, 
This is the first time I've been to Europe in the summer. I usually come over here in the winter for some reason and it kicks ass. Festivals are fun. I always used to watch TV and see the big festivals over here. We played the Roskilde Festival in Denmark yesterday and it was intense. We were on before Sheryl Crow and after the Black Crows. It was real cool and the Phoenix Festival build looks just great man. Tony just nods and grins. Crime. Ice doesn't regret his years of skullduggery in LA. Hell no. It was survival. I did what I had to do and I'm trying to repay some of the negative shit. Tony. I was lucky I didn't have to do all those things. There's so many laws people have to follow now. There's still a law in England stating that a taxi driver has to carry a bale of hail in his boot. Frowns ice. A bale of hay. That's some shit. Tony. It's true, but I don't think you get done for it. Dope guns and fucking. Tony likes a drink and stuff. Ice doesn't. Ice. I never got high. That's probably because I was out there dealing drugs. They say don't get high on your own supply and I never enjoyed smoking or drinking. The days of hard drugs are over. Cocaine and heroin will kill you. Tony. I like finding out what stuff does, but I don't like talking about drugs because I always associate it with sad people. You do it for yourself, not to tell somebody. Ice. Some people just try and kill themselves. Look at Kurt Cobain. I hung out with Nirvana early back in the days when Courtney was pregnant. I didn't like it. I lost all respect for that whole game. She argued to me that guns should be illegal. I told her that guns don't kill, a cold heart does. Ice is clearly a sex man when it comes to vices. Yeah, he nods. Sex and violence are the most vivid highs. If the right girl gets naked, then shit happens. You see someone walk up and shoot a motherfucker in his head, and your fucking head goes whoa without any drugs or alcohol. I love horror movies. I'll watch porno till it gets me real hot, then I go out looking for a real woman. You don't want to sit in a room with a bunch of guys watching porno. It's like a starter. If you ever watch a whole movie, you're doing something wrong. The guns scare Tony. No, I'm too interested to be scared. If you go looking for negativity, that's what you get. I don't know anybody who's got a gun. Ice. Maybe I'm slightly demented, but aggression turns me on. It's like the video game Mortal Kombat. Take out the fatalities and it's a wuss game. I was looking at a carcass sleeve the other day and went, yeah. We're all supposed to be respectable, but human nature always wins through. At the end of the day, I want my porno and my Freddy Krueger films. And if you try to break into my car, I'm going to shoot you, motherfucker. Tony can only grin his cheekiest. The result? North England meets South Central with fine handshaking results and not one embarrassing set of excuse me's. Ice-T heads off for dinner with his band. Tony heads off to neck tequilas until his head goes a funny colour. Top stuff and a grand well spent if you ask me. The posters in this week's Kerrang! are posters of Foo Fighters, Reef, Iron Maiden and Black Crows. The Foo Fighters poster is not in my copy of Kerrang! because that one was definitely up on my wall. There are no singles reviewed in this week's Kerrang! so let's move on to albums. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy it couldn't get off the turntable. The album of the week this week is Black Faith by Cancer. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this one gets 4Ks. Cancer, aren't they that shite death metal band who used to write songs like Bloodbath and Hung, Drawn and Quartered? You'd be right on two counts. Cancer were indeed straight down the throat deathsters in a past life or death. And they did write enjoyably stupid gore lyrics, but shite they weren't. Unless you hated the genre full stop. They've kept their reliably offensive name, but Black Faith represents a pretty drastic step up for the Telford Quartet. It's their major label debut, their first album with a serious production from that reliable governor of caustic quality Simon Ephemy, and their first album with a shitload of thought invested. 
cancer had, after all, had a couple of years to stir the cauldron. Vocalist John Walker has abandoned the traditional grunts of old, opting instead for a style with more dimension and expression, whilst retaining that vital aggro. Cancer is still heavier than the late Roy Kinnear, as soon as Ant's nemesis ride kicks in, with Carl Stokes' drums finally getting the chance to repeatedly boot you in the groin and a mighty riff marching along, it's obvious that the boys ain't gone prog rock. There are chunktastic riffs flying like shrapnel, true to Cancer's undying love of heads down metal, on tracks like the driving face to face, they're writing stuff they'd enter the mosh pit for themselves. Kill Date and White Desire are speedy burners with a hint of the old Jesus built my hot rod era ministry about them. Highest Orders has perhaps the best riff spasming like a possessed buzzsaw. Yet, some surprises nestle deeper down in this Viper Pit. Without cause, and the title track are downpaced near ballads, both remaining weighty, even if the former's just a touch over long. Black Faith itself is melodically the strongest attaining a tune worthy of Paradise Lost, come the chorus, it'll turn heads on MTV. There are also some mellow interludes among the 12 tracks. Temple Song is a weird sonic daze involving ancient Tibetan instruments, while the acoustic sunburn nicely precedes the military stomp of last track Save Me From Myself. This album may not be an all-out 5k revolution like Fear Factory's Demanufacture, but it's undeniably granite hard, welcomingly creative stuff. Cancer are back in black. The next album reviewed this week is Live at the Fillmore by Testament. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this gets 3Ks. Testament have never been the most cunning of foxes when it comes to managing their careers. They celebrated the dismissal of noted uh, fret wanger Alex Skolnick with a crap mini album of odds and sods. Now they're celebrating their unfortunate dismissal from Atlantic Records with a bloody live album. We can't get enough of the crazy fangs. In a way, Live at the Fillmore makes sense. Thrash has gone back to whence it came, the underground, and this is actually a good way for Testament to show us that they can still rip it up and still play all those old songs. The songs they abandoned for years because they thought their music could sell a million records. The sound ain't bad at all, as you'd expect from the masters of technical thrash. As for the track listing, fans of the Old Testament won't be disappointed. The only notable omissions are Over the Wall and Trial by Fire, but there's plenty of stuff from the band's classic The New Order Disc of 88. Chuck Billy, the band's eternal headbanger, is clearly loving every crunch-dripping moment, injecting a fuck yeah whenever possible. It's all strong stuff, but Testament tragically lose a Kerrang for concluding the album with their three power ballads, one after the other. This is a bad move, considering they all sound the same, and if there's another one on the next studio LP, we'll have their legs. The last album reviewed this week is Question the Answers by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Reviewed by Gordon Goldstein, this gets 4Ks. A gaggle of Boston good-for-nolts in skinny ties and plaid jackets, the Mighty Mighty Bostones are the sort of party you walk out of a bit bruised and drunkenly singing bits of madness and minor freck. Question the answer, it's all that in a nitro amphetamine package. It's a hardcore, scarcore, reggae party from start to finish. It's also the Bostones' best to date. Ringing with hook upon hook, the minute gravel-throated frontman Dickie Barrett hits the chorus of opening salvo kinda words. From there on, it's a caustic concoction of hip-hop beats, hardcore power, choruses, brash, brassy horns, and mania aplenty. Raucous rabbit punches share the spotlight with moments of swing on a hell of a hat before diving pit-bound with the likes of 365 days. Sweat-drenched and well-sussed. 
The mighty, mighty boss tones manage to jump genres, swing through styles and look perfectly stylish doing so. Next up in Kerrang we have a piece entitled The Dog's Bollocks. US Funkor sensations Doggy Dog have come from out of nowhere and they're cramming them in on the nation's dance floors. But who the hell are they? Ray Zell hops on the plane to Manhattan to find out. We've got good news, bad news and good news. The good news is we're in New York. The bad news is that the filming of the Dog Eat Dog video for the new single No Fronts, the reason for Kerrang being here, has been cancelled. And the good news? Shit. Man, we're in New York. Mind you, it did look a bit sticky at New York Customs until it turned out that the gorilla grilling us was hit to Dog Eat Dog. You be good now, says Mr. Customs official upon allowing us entry. I know what those guys can get up to. As you read this, the Funkor rap metal pooches are all primed for some Brit activity, with a string of support dates with fellow Big Applers Biohazard. Then comes an appearance for both bands at the Phoenix Festival. Right now though, here sit we, the Roadrunner Records press girl, the photographer and myself on some steps outside a building in a locale that could be a set for Sesame Street waiting for the lads. You know, we thought we'd hook up with the buggers, what with us happening to be in the neighbourhood, like John Connor, vocals, Dave Neobor, bass, Scott Muller, sax, and Mark DeBacker, uh, guitar, eventually drift in. Guitarist Sean Kilkenny and drummer David Maltby can't be bothered to make an appearance. Either that, or no one told them how to get, how to get to Sesame Street. I grabbed John and Dave to uh, rap some. The new No Front single has been totally re-recorded with Run DMC's Jam Master J, but what was the reason behind the cancellation of the video shoot? Time states John, I don't want to get into why we didn't have enough of it, says the man in the shades. It's just that we felt that when you're releasing a song that has previously been released with an accompanying video, then it has to be that much better than the original. Now we've got more time to talk about it and plan it, adds Dave. We'll probably film it in Europe, where, I link, you'll be on a festival binge. Our festival's new territory for you. Sort of nods John, by the time we come to Phoenix, we'll probably have done 10 festivals this summer. So you'll be jaded old hands by Phoenix. I doubt that, he smiles widely. The dog squad are making fab headway on European turf, but what's the situation on home ground? Explains Dave. One of our luckiest breaks in Europe was when we got to open for Biohazard on a major tour last year. That started the ball rolling. Exposure wise, but we haven't had a break like that in America yet. We're very much a band with a strong East Coast following and we're still chipping away, one by one, a state at a time. Still, you must be proud of your mental London following. Yeah, says Dave. Half the kids in the front rows we practically know as friends. John, we've played London seven times in the last year. You get to know people. We're not the kind of band that hang out backstage all night. We're out on the street hanging out with the kids. You make friends, they tell their friends. A network thing. It is a search, John, and it should be. I bring up my admiration of how John dealt with a potentially ugly bouncer band crowd situation at their recent LA2 show. It's just common sense, really, you know, John responds modestly. I just cut it off and didn't let the shit escalate. I mean, he exclaims, we didn't come to fight the bouncers. It was pretty funny, I tell John. At one point, when the security people were attempting to deal with the stage invaders, he had to show one bouncer your Micah's credentials. That happened, he laughs, the light of recollection in his eyes. Like, during the second song, someone started grabbing me and I'm going, what the fuck? And I showed him the mic. At least he believed you. He could have nabbed you for stealing it. John, we've had that too, where kids have stolen the mics. There's respect, eh? Yeah, right, John laughs. The word fun, we keep seeing tagged alongside the band's name. You really aren't opposed to it, are you? John. 
It's maybe one of the few things that was premeditated in starting this band. So many times you go to shows and the singer's up there preaching his ass off, smoke this, don't drink that, talking about politics. That's not anything that we're interested in. We wanted to play music and be part of something that got away from your day-to-day shit. For us, Dog Eat Dog was a hobby, something that took us away from our jobs. Dave, yeah, how many gigs have you been to and leave and just think that was a waste of my time? But how good is it when you go to a show and you feel great afterwards? That's what I miss when I go to shows. There have been lots of bands that have done that for me, and I like to think that I'm in a band that can do that for somebody else. Absolutely concurs John. Personally, say I, there's more honesty and fun than there is in all these angry bands who, even if they've had a great day, have to psych themselves up to be pissed off before they go on stage. John, the thing is, you've got to strike a balance. We have songs that are kind of angry, and some that are fun. And like sometimes I'm mad and sometimes I'm happy, high, drunk, whatever, I think that if you can let your emotions show through on different songs, rather than have to be the same all the time, exactly John returns. We don't want to have to be anything, that's the beauty of what we're doing, we're trying to see how much we can get away with. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is These Days Bon Jovi. Number one in indie LPs is Draconian Times Paradise Lost. And the number one single this week is still This Is A Call by The Food Fighters. The reader's chart this week comes from a happy hardcore fan from London. His chart begins 1. Bob No Effect, 2. Slave New World Sepultura, 3. Reach Out Snuff, 4. Who Sets The Rules Sick Of It All, 5. Touch Life Downset, 6. Just A Feeling Branson, 7. Who's The King Doggy Dog, 8. Hard Times Live Machine Head, 9. Down By Law Madball, and 10. One Of My Lies Live Green Day. The star tracks this week come from Guns N' Roses' Axeman Slash. His chart begins 1. Exile on Main Street, The Rolling Stones 2. The Downward Spiral, Nine Inch Nails 3. Beggar's Banquet, The Rolling Stones 4. Rocks Aerosmith and 5. John Lee Hooker's new album Next week in Kerrang! Bank Issues Cool as fuck, Skunk and Nancy, Bush and Reef The hottest new bands in the world And guess what, they're all British Six days on the road with Pearl Jam Trailing across America with the Kings of Grunge Win a Harley, a Harley Davidson bike worth over eight grand could be yours, plus silver chair, slash, sick of it all, poor, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Wednesday as usual, so I look forward to talking to you all then. Bye for now.